Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4 if you have a Bible. We're just going to look at one verse, um, Romans 4 verse 25. Romans 4.25, this is the word of God. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we rejoice this day because across this planet, billions have gathered today to celebrate the empty tomb. In your good pleasure, Jesus was raised and raised for our justification. We consider this to be an immeasurable gift from heaven, and for that, we are a thankful people. Help us, Holy Spirit, to look at your word and understand the depths of wisdom found therein. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today marks the annual celebration of Christ's resurrection from the grave. And we also acknowledge that, in a sense, each Lord's Day is the observation of the very same thing. We get to, every week, celebrate the glorious resurrection of Christ. Christ was raised as our Sabbath, and in Him we begin each week of dominion activity with rest in him. We start with rest. In Christ, we have been established as his people, people who labor within the dominion covenant. And inside this newly established legal reality, we go forth into the world as his vice regents, taking no prisoners and admonishing the peoples of the hinterlands to come along peacefully. That's the goal of the church. However, This task, we'll call it the Great Commission, this task of discipling the nations requires legal jurisdiction and authority. There's a legality to this whole thing. Who are we to preach Christ when apart from Christ we are dead in Adam? Just who do we think we are to have the audacity to have this sort of paradigm that which we can then labor within, that we can work for in the world? Uh, The question, that question really is what I intend to address here today. Now, in order for us to accomplish the considerable task of discipling the nations, we must first possess legal authority. And the only way to get this legal authority is for God to grant it to us. In Adam, we know that all die. And Paul says earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how is this apparent paradox resolved? How do we do with, what do we do with this? How do we go forth in our lives with the struggles we have, the toils and labors that are set before us in a very sin-sick world? How do we go out, go forth living our lives for the glory of God? Now the short answer is justification by faith. That's the short answer. But this cannot be understood and reduced merely as us being a bunch of sloganeering candidates uh, walking around getting people to, to adhere to a slogan. That's not what we have going on. We have to understand the concept from the scriptures. And I'm going to say something later that will be deeply personal for you that you should strongly consider, but we're kind of doing the 30,000 foot thing first. Justification by faith is not meant to be a mere doctrinal slogan that we slap on a t-shirt. Justification by faith is a legal reality that changes everything. It's a legal reality that changes everything. So let's look at our text. 
The Apostle Paul, he said in other places that we are justified by the blood of Christ. He says in other places, like Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Romans 3, 25, and even after this passage in Romans 5, 9. Paul is not confused. He says that we are justified by the blood of Christ Jesus. But he shifts here for a moment in Romans 4. He shifts the angle here and he speaks of Christ's resurrection being the basis of our justification. Why would he do that? Why would he say that we're justified by, by the blood of Christ, we're declared not guilty, we're declared in the right, we've been acquitted out of the courtroom of God? Why would he say we're justified by the blood of Christ and then sneak this little verse in, Paul's being very sneaky apparently, and then say we're justified by the resurrection of Christ? Why would he say that? The whole point of Romans 4, we're not going to look at all of it, we don't have time, but the point of Romans 4 is to show that Abraham too was justified by faith alone. And in that exact same manner, we too are justified. When we believe on Jesus Christ as the hope of our salvation, and even that's a gift that's dispensed from the Holy Spirit of God to his elect, when that happens, we are credited, we are reckoned, we are considered to have and possess in our actual possession this legal verdict called justified. You have it. It's something that you own that God has given to you to steward. Now, in God's courtroom, which, by the way, is the highest court of appeals in the universe, one is declared righteous, completely acquitted on all charges by faith alone. You need to know that when you um, exercise this gift of faith in Christ as your only hope, you are acquitted. No one can condemn you. Nothing can condemn you. Not your sin, right? Not, not, not those things. You, you are in Christ by faith alone. You see, faith is the central issue. But here in our text, Paul basically argues, he says that Jesus was delivered over, in other words, handed over. He was crucified on a cross. Why? Because of our transgressions. Because of our sin, he was crucified. Jesus was put on a cross. Now that's clearly an echo of Isaiah 53, which um, Aaron read just a minute ago. Also, you should know that this in the Greek language is a passive text. It's passive. In, in other words, God did it. God did the delivering over of Jesus because of our transgressions. So our sins, right, the legal transgression of the covenant law of God, those sins put Jesus on the cross. You and I need to know that. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. But, and we also have the fact that our transgressions, they exist and they have to be dealt with. And because of the, that need, that's what the cross is all about. That's the reason for the cross. The reason for the cross of Jesus Christ, the reason for Good Friday, is because of our transgressions, Romans 4.25 says. And yet Paul goes on. He says, and was raised because of our justification. The phrase because of in Greek is actually the same in both lines. He was delivered because of. He was raised because of. But Paul is saying something a little unique, though, between the two lines. He's saying this, basically. Christ was crucified because of our sins. Our sins put him there, no doubt. 
And Jesus was raised from the dead because those same transgressors, they need justification. They need a legal standing. God doesn't just elect us and then it's just magical. God gives you an acquittal. He gives you a trial and you are standing before him, Christ the judge, you are acquitted. That's justification. So that's basically what he's, what he's arguing. But we have to ask more questions of the text. It's always a good thing. Why, why would he connect it this way? Why would he now say that we're justified because, because of him being raised? And then in other places, he would speak of the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, as being the basis of our justification. Why do it this way? Well, let me explain. In terms of God's covenant dealings and his transactions with the world, there must be a legal basis for our justification. There has to be a, a legal covenantal basis for this, because we're not deists who think that God made the world and then ran off and you know spent all his, his gambling money. <laughs> so he's just having a good time. God deals with the world on a daily basis. He, he interacts with his creation on a daily basis. So there has to be this legal jurisdiction. There has to be a legal remedy for all of this stuff. Man has sinned and man must pay. A debt has been incurred. And in order for the to get out of the debt, to get out of this you know, thing we owe, the legal basis of justification has to be secured. And listen, what Paul gets at and what we must understand is the deep connection, the deep connection between the bloody cross and the empty tomb. The, a connection that is entirely inextricable. You can't have one without the other. And the reason is because there is a verse that I will read in 1 Timothy 3.16 that makes this connection. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, listen to this, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated by the spirit. Now, what in the world is Paul saying there? Jesus Christ taking on flesh is the revelation of God. It's the revelation of God. He's revealed himself to us. God has now come. And when God comes, things are dealt with. When God comes, things get sorted out. Jesus spent his three-year earthly ministry preaching and teaching and demonstrating the incoming kingdom of God. But he was not without opposition. We've been studying John. We know that. The end result of his persecution was the rejection of Christ and thus the cross of Christ. The cross was the great moment of rejection. It was also the great moment of revelation. Jesus the man died on a cross. He was revealed in the flesh. And yet, we confess with the billions of Christians on this earth, we confess with the billions of Christians for 2,000 years, what do we confess? We confess that he was vindicated. He was vindicated. He came out the other side of death. He experienced true, real death, yet he came out the other side. He was vindicated in the spirit. Now, the word vindicated is actually the same word that we use for righteous and just. Um, we're, English is such a pathetic language. 
We should abandon it almost altogether, probably. But in, in Greek, you have dikaios, which is one word, and it simply means righteous and just. Um, it's the same word. But in English, we have, you know, we, we do better. <laughs> we can come up with 50 words to describe one thing. And that can be sometimes unhelpful. But the word here is simply him being vindicated in the spirit. He's justified. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the justification of Jesus. It vindicated Jesus. See, his faithfulness, his obedience, and all of us need that. You all need every day his faithfulness and his, his obedience. That's our only hope. That's the only hope is that Jesus is continually being faithful. He is faithful today. He's faithful tomorrow. He is constantly faithful. When we are faithless, he is faithful. And this, in his legal justification, him being declared, uh, him being justified, he was dead and raised. That is granted by the Spirit. Him being raised from the dead, that's the basis of it all. That's the basis of your legal declaration. And that's a beautiful thing. See, this is because we are in Christ. What's his is ours. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His righteousness and vindication is ours. It belongs to you, dear saints. And more to the point, his justification is our justification. See, the empty tomb, which we celebrate today, was and is the legal verdict of God on the person and work of Jesus. It's the legal verdict of God on the person and work of Jesus. See, he's the just one. He's the righteous one. Death had no dominion over him, which is another way of saying that the resurrection is the death blow to death. So, Jesus was raised because of our justification, Paul says in Romans 4.25. And why is, is that? The empty tomb vindicates and justifies Jesus and that humble fact serves as the legal basis of our declaration, not guilty. Our legal status, <laughs> our legal status is only as good as, empty, as is empty the tomb. To the degree that the tomb is empty is the degree that our, our status is secure. See, for our justified status in Christ to have any sort of efficacy in your life, any sort of efficacy in the world, there has to be a legal basis for it. And the legal basis is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the only thing that holds up in the heavenly court. See, there's this connection I mentioned earlier between the cross and the tomb. We all know that because of our sin, we need to die, which is why we need the cross. But our death in Christ is absolutely nothing if he isn't raised. Our death in him is simply a death, no more, no less. But a death on the cross, a burial with Christ, a resurrection of Christ, that's how the legality of the covenant comes together for God's people. See, there is no sharing in the resurrection until we share in the cross. There's no crown apart from the cross. But there's certainly no cross without a resurrection. See, if Jesus had been put to death and not been raised, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, that our faith is worthless. If Jesus has not been raised, our faith is worthless and we are still in our sins. But if Jesus has been put to death and not been raised, he would have not been declared 
as the Son of God by His resurrection. That's Romans chapter 1. And if that happened, friends, His death is pointless. His death is meaningless. There's no glory in the cross alone. A dead Savior is simply an impotent Savior. The point of the resurrection, according to Paul, is our justification. And our justification rises and falls on Jesus' vindication, His justification, His righteousness, His faithfulness, His obedience. All of which is to say simply this, the resurrection authenticates the atonement. The resurrection authenticates the atonement. The resurrection is the thing that validates, it corroborates, and it ratifies the covenant. See, as covenant breakers, you and I need the covenant to be ratified. Otherwise, we're dead in our sins. We need this treaty with God to be formally validated. We need the oath to be sealed. But we can't do the sealing. We are not just enough. We are not righteous enough. We don't have that. Our blood alone cannot do the ratifying. But guess whose blood can? See, and not only Christ's blood, but His resurrection. That's how covenant renewal works. See, what you and I need, indeed what the entire world needs, is a ratified covenant with unstained and polluted by sin blood followed by the abolition of death. The abolition of death. See, that's the legal basis for the gospel of the kingdom that we preach. Jesus was given for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. He was raised for our legal standing before God, which is also another way of saying that we need righteousness. See, righteousness is often an elusive term. We need to define it. Van Til said that righteousness is the internal self-consistency of the divine being. God is internally self-consistent in and of himself. Are you and I eternally self-consistent? No. We, none of us are consistent in this room. We're not always the same every single day. But God is eternally and internally self-consistent in and of himself. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. He is unstained by sin. The display of his self-consistency in the world is the goal of the gospel. When you woke up and you saw the news, maybe some of you didn't even see it, I don't know, but the news of, of, of these deadly attacks on Easter Sunday, where over 200 people are now dead for their faith in Christ because of evil in the world, that is not consistent. It's not consistent with the world as it should be in Christ. But that's what sanctification is. That's what gospel preaching is. That's what justified people are to go and undo in the world. It's, that's sanctification. It's the eradication of all inconsistency in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds. That is the core of gospel ministry in the world. It's the legal basis for it. And listen, regarding the cross of Christ... God wasn't looking for someone to kill at random so that he could just let a, a bunch of people get off the hook. That wasn't the cross. That's not the atonement. It's not that God was irritated at us sinners so that you know he just threw Jesus to the wolves and said, good luck. No, Christ is the central point of the gospel, and the gospel is intended to transform the world. Which means that God doesn't justify us helter-skelter. Which means this isn't a haphazard duck-duck-goose game where he just is at random. God isn't 
do that. The scope of the gospel isn't frivolous trivialities. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And all of this was not on accident. Jesus' death wasn't a mishap. His resurrection wasn't a fluke incident in an otherwise random chance universe. None of this surprised God. All of it was deliberate. It was completely and utterly intentional. It was carefully planned in the sovereign mind of God. All of it. And that's why this is the basis for your life and this is the basis for gospel ministry. Jesus has established us with legal right standing so that we can go into the world with full-on covenantal authority to cast down all the pagan strongholds, to raise our families for the glory of Christ, and truly have dominion. And listen, nothing can stop this. Nothing can stop, not a terrorist attack, not a bomb, not a rough Monday, nothing can stop it. An infanticidal, bloated, central government bent on fully metastasized statism cannot and does not stop the church of Jesus Christ. And like Jesus, we, we get to stare death in the face and say, where is your victory? Where is your victory? And that's not something we can just say at a funeral of a beloved saint. It's what we can say right now. We can look at the death and destruction in the world, all of the inconsistencies, all the unrighteousness, all the covenant breaking, and we can say with exuberant legal authority, where is your victory? And you can say that about your sin. You can say that about what's happening around you. Where is your victory? Where is your victory, abortionist? Where is your victory, statists? Where is your victory, socialists? You have none. You have none at all. You have momentary success, but we have an empty tomb. And that's not even, that's not cockiness. Not even a little. This is the justification we possess, saints. The authority is simply there. And listen, a justified man, a justified woman, a justified child has the world at his fingertips. He has the world at his fingertips. And why is that? Because your case has been dismissed. And not only has your case been dismissed because restitution has been fulfilled in Christ, you are now a walking and talking legal reality in God's world which he intends to restore. And please get this. I want this to hit home. In Christ, you are not a guilty person who wasn't punished. You're not a guilty person who wasn't punished. You are a righteously just person, fully acquitted. There's a difference. And there's this temptation for many Christians to walk around treating it like that. That, oh, I'm a guilty person who wasn't punished. No, no, no. It's more than that. It's more than that. You are a fully righteous and just person who has been fully acquitted on all accounts, sin, past, present, future. So know the difference, saints. And we don't, we don't even stop there, really. You aren't only a just person fully acquitted. You have now been brought onto the legal team to press charges against the recalcitrant world. You are an ambassador now. You are a lawyer. You are a covenantal prosecutor carrying out God's justice in the world. And it starts with you. It starts with your family. It starts with our churches. And it goes into the world following the rider on the white horse that we described earlier in Revelation. See, that's why Christ was raised. He was raised for our justification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that the victory belongs to you.
You have given us the great gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we exalt this day. The tomb is empty. He is risen, and He is risen indeed. Father, my prayer is that Your church would acknowledge and receive the legal authority that was established when Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. This authority is the legal basis for reclaiming the world for Your Son. We've been sent on the basis of this sovereign power, and may we never lose sight of it. I ask that you would strengthen us for those who are weak, encourage those who are despondent, and may your Spirit this day remind us of the power of the empty tomb. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.